This is the show with Cannon Brown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show with Cannon Brown. I'm your host, Cannon Brown, and uh, this is a no interview, no interview episode. So if you're if you're here to hear from other people, sorry, I apologize. It's just your host. Uh, I'm gonna call this segment "Last Week in Ag." Actually, let's change that. Let's do "Last Week in Livestock." I like that way better. "Last Week in Livestock," and I kind of did this a couple weeks ago, where I talked about some news talked about some current events going on in the livestock industry might be ag industry as a whole uh, but that's what this episode is going to be as well hello um, I'm sitting in a hotel room sitting in a, like a quality inn I think um, maybe a Baymont no clue to be honest with you it's got a bed and the AC goes down to 60 that's what I care about at this point I'm here um, back in Arizona for about three days, three or four days, judging a county fair down here. Um, I was very grateful to them for them to uh, fly me out, even though I'm living in Connecticut now. Didn't think they would, but whatever. A little county fair in Arizona needs me. Sign me up. Let's go. I'll, I'll fly across the country for four days. Let's do it. So I'm going to be in Duncan, Arizona for the next two to three days. I'm staying in a hotel in Safford. Shout out to Safford, Arizona. <clears throat> if you're Mormon and you're listening to this, there's a bunch of them here. Okay, you're looking to get involved in the community. Safford, Arizona, LDS population is very high, so uh, look out for there. All right, guys, um, Connecticut's going well. Like, uh, like I said, I'm not there right now, but just getting kind of used to it. Uh, the people are mean. The, the people are mean. Especially when you're driving, you know, that, that's something that I'm going to have to really get used to is the folks just getting very angry at me when I'm driving. And it's a lot of the time they just don't have any decency. Now I'm calling you out. New England drivers. You're awful. Okay. But it's been good. Uh, I've been going to some job interviews. Uh, you know how it goes. Zoom interviews and stuff like that. Nice shirt. No pants on, underwear on, you know, you know how it goes. You, you got to look good from the top half up, top, top half up. Uh, no one cares about the bottom half, right? Right? I don't. It's not like a job interview is gonna say, "Hey, why don't you stand up a little bit? Let me see what your, let me see what your outfit is here for this Zoom meeting. Let me make sure that you're really into this interview and involved. So involved that you." got ready and, and put on nice slacks and you put on a nice belt and you put on your nice uh, Oxford shoes. No, none of that. In the interviews, I was wearing a button down, long sleeve, had my hair done, trimmed up the beard, nothing at the bottom, okay? I mean, not nothing. You know, I had some underwear on, you know? I, I don't need to get into that. But here's the deal. Job interviews are fun, and I've and I've got, you know, when you're when you're looking at jobs, you're always you're searching Indeed, and you're going to ZipRecruiter, you're checking out different companies that you might want to work for, right? Well, I found a good one, and, and I'm not going to do it personally. I'm not going to do this job, 
but that doesn't mean you shouldn't. And I found this on Indeed, and I, I, I didn't even know there were jobs like this on Indeed. A pig farm manager on Indeed pays $100,000 a year. That's not bad. $100,000 a year to be a pig farm manager. Relocation. Now, where are we relo relocating, guys? Where, where do you think they need a pig manager? Just guess really quick while, you, while, while you're doing stuff. Just, just guess in your head. Where do I think that they would need a pig farm manager out of the country? Yeah, it, it's worldwide. Australia, mate. Oh, yeah. You go get a work visa. Go be a pig farm manager in Australia. Freaking right, dude. Australia. Australia has a pig farm manager position open. Pays $100,000 a year. Family-owned pork producer. And sounds great. 8,000 sows. Um, they've got it in uh, situated in five different sites. Don't really know the cities. But anybody looking for a farm manager... Um, pork producing job check out indeed type in pig farm manager australia see if this see if this is still open by the time you hear this and if you get this job because of the podcast you got to come on yeah you got to be a guest because that would just be awesome anybody that wants to move to australia you know i mean australia is not bad right they have a rich history correct of prisoners of gun control. Wow, I just got Bill O'Reilly like that real quick. No, but I mean the state was set up with with English prisoners. It, it was like, hey, we don't want you in our country. Go down to the big island where there's a thousand things that will kill you. Oh, and aboriginal tribes that don't necessarily like you. Who would have thought? Who would have thought, you know? But Australia, put another shrimp on the barbie, right? Go, go snorkeling with the jellyfish that will murder you. Okay, let's talk about some current events. This, this, this is the last week in livestock, guys, and, and we're gonna start out. We're gonna start out pretty smooth here. Okay, we're gonna start out nice. We've got some thieveries going on. We've got some theft going on in the livestock industry. All right. First one I want to talk about. Headline reads, Vegan takes cattle into productive custody, sends the owner the feed bill. Let me read that one more time. Vegan, a vegan, takes cattle into protective custody. Let me just um, give you this in layman's terms. Someone who doesn't eat any animal products stole cattle and then sends the owner the feed bill which is which is very interesting so you're not going to be surprised to know where this is i mean it's come on new york state i mean i i'm living there i'm living pretty close to there in connecticut right uh, so maybe i shouldn't talk any crap because maybe i want to pick up my viewership where uh, i'm living nearby right um but vegans new york is littered with them it's a hot spot. It's that in California. I, I shouldn't have to explain myself here. You guys should understand that. Wrapped up in New York State, 
and the police ended up having to arrest the owner of this animal sanctuary. She goes up to this cattle producer, this cattle guy, and she says, hey, I want to buy those two cattle. He says, no. Nope, can't buy those. Sorry. Um, those are those are already spoken for. She says, uh, no, I, I want to buy them. I want to take them to my animal sanctuary. And, she, and the owner of the cattle says, no. No, you won't. Um, so two or three days goes by, and the cattle are gone. Two head of the cattle are gone. We got ourselves a freaking cattle rustler in New York State. Do people not understand cattle rustling and how important it is? That's that's a legitimate crime. Like a legitimate crime. Why do we have brandings? Huh? Why do we all get together on a branding day, drink a bunch of beer, take out a bunch of testicles, have a lot of donuts, if it's not going to stop anybody from stealing the gosh dang cattle? You know? And this freaking vegan comes in, and she has them. She has them for 10 days before the cops can even get them out. Charges the owner $100 a day for feed. The owner that she stole the cattle from, she sends him a bill for $100 a day for these cattle that she stole, and she's keeping on her animal sanctuary. So she was charged with grand larceny in the third degree, a class D felony in the state of New York. Hats off here. Come on. Hats off. I back the blue, okay? I back the blue. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's just all the, that's Texas justice right there. That's Texas justice. Let's go to one that hasn't really been solved yet. This is an interesting one. They're, they're calling these people that, that perpetrated this crime meat thieves. I just think that sounds cool. I mean, you can be a thief, or you can be a meat thief, you know? That sounds way more badass. You're a little darker, you're like, oh gosh, I'm a meat thief. Watch out. Meat thieves take $100,000 worth of pork from a JBS plant in Iowa. Meat thieves take $100,000 worth of pork. $100,000. Now, next time you go to the grocery store and you're like, gosh dang, this pork is a little expensive. Think of these guys. You know, they took matters into their own hands. They saw they saw two trucks or, or a truck that was just sitting there, had a JBS logo on the side. It was sitting cold. Maybe they had the refrigerator on, so they understood that maybe there was some meat in there. Maybe, maybe we just hook up to these guys and, and skedaddle, you know. Bobby, did, do we have enough freezers for all this? What are you talking about, Jimbo? We got two trailers here that are refrigerated. I mean, it's foolproof, in my opinion. They haven't caught these guys yet. At least, uh, at least what I've read, they haven't found these guys. And you know, um, maybe, maybe it's JBS's fault. Maybe, you know. How about you not? Uh, take advantage of our system. Hmm. How about you not take advantage of our farmers and producers? Huh. This might be a case of Texas justice. Y you know, I'm not, I'm not condoning thievery. I'm not saying that you should go out and steal, okay? Prosecutors that are listening right now. 
I'm not telling you to go out to your grocery store on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays and pick up their shipment of meat that they get in, their fresh shipment, and take it off the pallet. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, you know, you see a tr- you see a trailer there full of pork that's on and it's not locked up. I mean, it's almost too good not to take, you know? I mean, it's almost like you look at yourself in the mirror if you don't take it and you're like, wow. I really dropped the ball on that one. Maybe, you know, if you don't take that, there's no chance that afterwards you're saying, you know what, I'm glad I didn't rip off a global billion dollar company um, that takes advantage of the very people that produces them their revenue. There's no chance that you're not stealing that trailer and you're like, wow, I'm glad I didn't rip off the, the company that's done so much damage in their local Brazilian government that they've actually been tried and uh, proven that they've been bribing their local and federal officials for maybe decades you know there's no chance that in my head that that goes on but but the thievery isn't good you know thievery's bad you know and if you're the thieves listening you should take that back um my address is uh is in new haven connecticut i do take packages um preferably the ones that are put on dry ice so if you're listening i love a good pork porterhouse good loin chop with the freaking tenderloin still on it you know that's what i really like and those shoulder chops if you got any of those and you're listening god send those my way dm me i'll shoot you my address all right gosh that's just a deal too good to pass up you know all right back to better news we got a cattleman's graduate student scholarship, okay? Now, if you're a grad student listening here, I don't know if I have a lot of grad students on. They're probably too smart to listen to my dumbass. You got any grad students um, that are looking for some scholarship? The National Cattlemen's Foundation is awarding two graduate level students with $15,000 each to support their pursuits with animal agriculture and a meat science career. This application ends September 30th. We've got a couple weeks so far. Um, it's in honor of the late W.D. Farr of Greeley, Colorado. Shout out, W.D. Farr of Greeley, Colorado, who passed away at the young, young age of 97 in 2007. God, in his prime. You know, kind of like the queen, right? I mean, she was... She was right there, right? That Queen of England, huh? She was, she was on the precipice of uh, of the peak of her life. You know, I, I wish she could have gone two more years. You know, just ab- abdicate now. You know, don't don't leave it for your fat chubby son to do. You know, so yeah, fifteen thousand dollars a piece. The application closes September 30th. So take advantage of that. National Found National Cattle Foundation. I'm sure you can find a website. Maybe I'll put a link in if you're lucky. 
new USDA meat processing facility to open in Montana. Now this is cool. This uh, this processing cooperative, um, it's member owned, uh, and it has a capacity to process 4,000 uh, animals annually. A um, little bit of smaller of a shop. I mean, uh, we got to bump those numbers up a little bit. You know, I, it, we need these smaller shops to to be incorporated in the communities, but also we need these shops that producers can get involved with um, and have a co-op with that are producing or able to process a lot of livestock annually. I think this is a great start. They also um, are going to be training students into the meat cutting process. They have a mobile unit that is going to be going around Montana. Uh, I'm assuming Montana. Uh, that's where their USDA permit is held. This is going to be really good for that state, yeah, you know, because this is one of those co-op deals where the producer can actually own shares in the processing plant, which allows them to kind of have more of a stake into their livestock, even when they're selling it and selling it for the meat. That's what this is, right? We're selling it for the meat. We're trying to get those farmers to make a profit. I think this processing facility in Montana is going to be a great addition to that area and that community of ranchers up there. We've got a eco and animal health rights group petition against Oregon's mega dairies. Now this one's funny, guys, because we've got we've got a group of 22 environmentalists that are petitioning Oregon to adopt a new air quality rules. And this is gonna apply to large dairies. And, and when I say large, I hope by my influx and my voice, you would just imagine me doing quotations around large farms because the federal EPA defines 700 or more mature cows as a large dairy. So the EPA defines having a large dairy as having 700 mature cows. And, and that's what these environmentalists are going after. Um, they're trying to they're trying to basically rid Oregon of these large dairies with 700 or more cows. Where this is the funny part. A mature cow farm doesn't necessarily qualify as a large dairy. Um, I, I mean, I grew up on a dairy. Every single dairy around me had at least 1,500 head of cows. And I thought they were uh, like pretty small. I mean, that's a pretty small dairy for my neck of the woods. I mean, in Arizona, you want to produce a bunch of milk, and there's a lot of area to do it. So dairymen usually get more head of cows. 700 mature cows in Oregon doesn't even place the dairy into the top 10 largest dairies in the state. So these environmentalists that are going after large dairies, which are considered by the federal EPA about 700 mature cows, 700 mature cows doesn't place a dairy in Oregon in the top 10 of largest dairies in the state, nor the 50 largest dairies in the state. So what they're saying is, a 700 cow dairy, if that's a large dairy, there's more than 50 dairies in that state that are larger than that, that they're trying to take down, that they're trying to stop their usage of 
um, either the water that they're using, they're trying to create a better quality air because, you know, cow farts and cow burps are all the rage these days, you know, that's, it's, it's funny how things just get ingrained in the culture and everybody's mindset because, you know, three or four, maybe five years ago, I mean, when I was in school, when I was like, when I went to Casper, Wyoming, and we studied livestock production, and I had a cop, crop production class, I thought my teachers were pretty knowledgeable. I mean, Jeremy Burkett, Heath Horniker, Jason Johnson, those guys know the industry. And not once did we talk about cow farts. That might be a bias. I, I mean, I don't think it is, but it might be. But over these past three or four years, cow farts and cow burps have become all the rage. And it's it's a huge, huge talking point. And that's what they're going to. Th this, petition, this petition reads, air pollution from the state's growing number of exceedingly large mega dairies threatens the public health and safety of Oregonians, as well as the environment. Really? Does it, does it threaten your health? What about the vitamins uh, that come from like drinking milk or butter? Do you get joy out of eating ice cream? You know, I, mean, I, I understand that some of these environmentalists aren't carnivores. You know, maybe they don't eat meat. Um, maybe they're vegans. Maybe they're vegetarians. But it's interesting because. What they don't know it either is maybe some of the waste that's coming off those larger dairies are actually going into producing crops that they eat on a regular basis. If you're vegan, you're still eating monoculture crops. You're still going out there and you're eating your greens. Where do you think those greens come from? You know, where do you think the fertilizer comes from? You, they're all they're all about environmental success. Doesn't environmental success also include taking care of the soil? You know? And and don't they know that groups of cows can actually cover up rich gases in the atmosphere and push them down in the ground? Don't they know that? You know? Don't they know that regenerative agriculture is actually a thing? And I know... We, we have this at such large a scale that not every producer is going to be able to coincide with the regenerative agriculture, but there's enough of them out there to where they could, and they do. But they're just stuck on these gosh dang cow farts and, and cow burps. Y you know what I think it is? I think it's the smell. I think, they're, I think the smell pisses them off. And I can understand that, okay? lived on a dairy my whole life I can I can drive by a dairy walk by a dairy it smells like home to me and I, I'm not trying to be funny there like it legitimately smells like home I take a big whiff of that and I hear my grandpa in the back of my voice saying you smell that that's the smell of money and that's what I think every single time when I smell a dairy I think of home and I think that right there that's the smell of money now, the dairy market, we can talk about the ebbs and flows in terms of the milk prices, but we don't need to go into that right now. Maybe that's a future episode. But I think they're really upset about the smell. 
you know, they're like, oh, my community, I live right here. I don't want to smoke cows. Do you want milk for your dang cereal? Do you want butter for your fat-ass cake? You know? You thought I was going to say fat-ass person, right? No. For the cakes. You need that. You, you need dairy products for cooking, drinking, for health. And if you're lactose intolerant, just don't listen, okay? Just put me on mute, I guess. Because I'm not talking to you right now. You're weird. You're weird. If you don't like milk, if you don't drink milk. I mean, I drink milk, I get some gas, whatever. I'm not lactose intolerant, okay? I, I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that when I drink milk, yeah, I get a little rumbly in my tumbly, okay? But that's not milk, guys. That's... That's, that's just the fairy dust. That's the dust in the wind. It's anything but milk. I refuse to believe it. Gosh, dang eco-terrorists. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to end on a, a little drought talk. I've got my buddy Joseph Fickett to come on. He's my drought and water expert. He's going to school uh, in that field. He knows a lot more than me. Without further ado, welcome on Joseph Fickett. Y'all ever heard of the drought? Yeah, there, there, there's a drought going on, okay? And um, I don't know if you live in the Southwest, if you live on the West Coast, but our lakes are depleting. Our reservoirs are not so good. And I uh, found this pretty neat article here. Um, and uh, it says that American Farm Bureau sent on a survey and got responses from over 650 county farm bureau leaders staff and members uh, and 15 states indicate uh, that the droughts are impacting their crop yields destroying orchard trees multi-year crops and affecting herd health so we are going to take it to our resident water drought expert mr joseph Fickett. thank you joseph for coming on today what can you tell us about this problem here Yes. Hi, Cannon. Thank you. And I'm not sure I would call myself an, an expert, but uh, certainly know enough to, to be a little bit dangerous with the drought and with the water situation in the southwest and in particular in the Colorado River Basin. And that's where a lot of my experience and a lot of my, my research that I've done um, is, is um, really oriented. And so you know, I guess to, to summarize a little bit more about that article, 60% um, of the West is currently listed under a D3 drought condition, which um, for the regular person, to put it into layman's terms, is means that it's severe drought. And, you know, we need to understand that that, that affects 17 of the Western states that are responsible for almost half of the United States agricultural production, almost $180 billion in um, direct agricultural receipts, according to ag census data. So this is uh, something that is going to especially affect our agricultural economies, especially in the Southwest and in the Western United States. Um, and I think the other thing we need to understand and we need to highlight is that the drought is simply exacerbating the overallocation of the Colorado River. Uh, historic flows have rarely ever achieved the allocated amount of water 
in the Colorado River. And so, you know, the drought uh, drying up um, a lot of the the snowpack and, you know, with a lack of snowpack and historical snowpack, you know, these these are really just exacerbating the situation of overallocation. And so what does that mean for ag? You know, that's that's why we're here, right? We're very uh, much, you and I are both very much lifelong agricultural advocates. And so, you know, what does that mean for us moving forward? Well, I'm not going to pretend to be a, a farmer, but I will try to summarize a little bit of what this article talked about. And that's for farmers, that means some fallowed acreage. That means hits to total crop yields. And um, one big deal uh, it, you have to understand is that this drought is a multi-year drought. This isn't just a year or two. We're now going on, you know, five plus years of, of total drought. And, you know, there's going to be destruction of orchard trees as well as impacts to multi-year crops. Um, and then, you know, one thing that I can talk about a little bit more in depth is for livestock producers, um, having been uh, an individual that was involved in the show industry for years growing up, raising show goats and having done some show pigs and some show cattle, um, certainly, uh, and, and still having grandparents that are involved in, in livestock production, um, What's going to happen is there's going to be partial herd and flock dispersals um, across the the southwestern United States and across the western United States. And we can already see that Um, the article that you were referring to earlier went into some depth and talking about, you know, most producers have already seen reductions in their herds and and had to get rid of some of their flock in order to. Um, have enough forage on the land that they have and so while we are cutting our herd and flock numbers you know feed costs have increased exponentially I mean look at the cost of a a bale of alfalfa I mean it's insane that the in exponential increase in feed costs for these producers and when you have these dispersals, you know, my grand, last time I was back home, my granddad has, oh, about, you know, 35 head of, of Dorper commercial use on feed right now that are ready to go to market. But, you know, he's holding on to them, trying to to wait for, for the market to come back because all these producers in Texas had to get rid of so much of their flock, right? And what does that mean when you saturate a market well it means lower prices for the producer and so those lower prices for the producer have um unfortunately um hit that producer in two separate ways right they have to the drought affects them in two separate ways is what i mean um they have to get rid of some of that flock or some of that herd. And then while they're trying to do that, they're having to get rid of them at an extremely low price because of a saturated market. And so, you know, I think the, the article even talked about the, uh, a family that had bought some, some cattle just last year 
and they're turning around and having to sell them now for 50 or 50 60 percent of loss on their initial investment that that hurts for um livestock producers that hurts for ag families and and so um you know and then uh Fortunately, like my family, we have irrigated pasture that it, we run those sheep on. And so we're able to cope a little bit more in, in that um, in that loss and able to, you know, feed them out just a little bit longer and hold on to them to, to hold on for, for the market to come back. And so, you know, that's a little bit about what this means for ag. It's a little bit about the drought, a little bit about the the water situation and the overallocation, the overall overallocation on the Colorado River. Um, so, what what can we do to to fix this? Right, we we can talk all day about you know the the pressures that we're feeling. We can talk all day about what is what is happening, but we also need to have conversations about ways to fix the situation. And so. You know, I look at this and I, I see really a couple different scenarios, a handful of ways in which we can fix the situation. Number one, we increase the total amount of water available to use. Um, what does that look like? Uh, desalination um, in, on the California coast, desalination in Mexico. I know, you know, where we are here in Arizona. We, there's been a lot of talk about desalination in Mexico. Um, in the, and that's, you know, taking, that's taking salt water and, and purifying it, right? That's taking the salt water from the ocean and, and getting all the salt content out of it so that we can actually use it for crops, correct? It's, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and, you know, what is the downside to that is that water is incredibly expensive. Um, that water... You're now paying twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars per acre foot for that water, and that is incredibly expensive. That's unaffordable. On it, it's unaffordable for most situations. The only situation that you could foresee there being a future um, financially for that water is within municipalities or within um, regions where that water. Um, within i would say higher more affluent areas where where that water could be more affordable or using that water is more of a, of a crutch in the large scheme of things um are ways where desalination could be used um there's a really cool thing called cloud forming um that's really being done uh, primarily in wyoming where they essentially create clouds to create rain for the the um, Colorado River Basin. That's a really cool new um, cutting edge technology that's that's kind of being implemented or really is still in the planning stages. Um, but a, a really cool new thing that, that people are, are trying to, you know, innovate and come up with new ways of creating more water. Uh, and then there's one, you know, when you get into these situations, I feel like things that used to be kind of crazy become a little more realistic and i've heard rumors of conversations of piping the missouri river to you know the colorado river basin and you know i'm actually starting to hear that in settings where it's not even it's not just rumors anymore i mean it's definitely a conversation that is that is happening will it ever happen i don't know 
but you know we're in a time that's that's so intense and so serious that you know these conversations of things that used to be just totally um crazy are are actually becoming a little more practical i'd say and then the other way that we can fix this is to decrease the total amount of water that is being used right so you e- either increase the supply or you decrease the amount of water that you're using um and what does that look like um one way is through water harvesting both active and passive um better watershed management increasing our total conservation of water within all sectors whether that's industrial municipal um urban or um agricultural um updating infrastructure one thing that that has shocked me is the infrastructure that we have within our urban environments is so outdated right because we have all of these pipes underneath our cities and our homes to provide water to to the consumer and updating all of that infrastructure takes years and decades and and in some states uh in some cities you have a what they call like a timeline of um updating those pipes and updating that infrastructure and some cities are on an 800 year timeline for updating their pipes and a you know 8% loss of water to leakage in those systems becomes more practical right that that's always been crazy to me that you know there's such a percentage of the water within our system that we lose just to leaking and the amount of money and time and updating of infrastructure it takes to move that down just a percentage is is quite um unbelievable it's it's unfathomable to to a degree but um these are that's another way that that we can start to decrease the total amount that's being lost um that's being used and ultimately i think it's going to come down to some combination of these two things the most important thing to understand is that there is no silver bullet to the situation in the southwest there's no silver bullet to solving um these situations uh, around the world right i mean we have to understand that this for us might be happening um in front of our our own eyes here in the Colorado River basin and in the United States but this is also happening around the world this drought isn't just um affecting us and, and so there's a lot of different places Lake Chad in uh Africa Lake Ermia in the Middle East the aerial sea between Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan these are all places that are experiencing very similar situations to what we're seeing in the Colorado River basin and you know we're all uh, around the world trying to connect and figure out innovative situation um solutions to solving the the water crisis and and the drought and so you know we're not in this alone is a really important factor to keep in mind but ultimately 
you know, it's going to be some combination of a bunch of different things that will ultimately lead us to, you know, a, a situation where we can replenish the um, reservoirs on the Colorado River, whether that's Lake Mead, Lake Powell, um, you know, some of those big, uh, very much uh, Im important Bureau of Reclamation projects. And uh, ultimately, over his recent history, a lot of what we've relied on to to account for the drought and the the lack of water is fallowed farm acreage. And you know, I just made a, a Facebook post the other day about how dangerous that can be, because we have to we have to begin to make decisions on. You know, I, I, I look at it, there's a, a person in Yuma, and I won't say his name, but that he, he really hits the nail on the head. You know, you have um, farmers and ranchers are very familiar with a term we call carrying capacity, right? And the more people that we continue to have uh, in Arizona, the more people we continue to have in the Southwest, that's more water, the more water we need and the less water we can have for other things, right? So at what point do we want to say, okay, we need to slow down a little bit until we can have the water? I mean, we have that a little bit within the active management areas, for example, in Arizona, where you have to have a 100-year assured water supply to uh, continue to develop in the more urban areas and within those active management areas. But, you know, we have to uh, just be very careful because following acreage, uh, you have to expect that that acreage won't come back into production within the next um five to ten years and and that's really a very slippery slope for us we can't continue to use agriculture as a crutch we can't continue to to ask farmers to fallow acreage when they've already done so much because once you fallow acreage there's a chance that you lose that top layer of really fertile soil that won't come back easily right we've spent you know the the people that are stewards of the lands, the farmers that are stewards of the land have spent decades um, farming this land. They've spent decades getting this land to, to places where it's fertile, it's productive. And if we follow that land, it can be detrimental to those farmers. It can be detrimental to the security of the, the national security of the United States of America, right? We have to look at the situation and say, do we want to import, you know, all of our food or and rely on other countries to, to feed us? You know, I, I guess to me, I would rather, you know, feed the feed America with American grown food and, and to continue to to support American uh, agriculture. And so um, the other thing is that when you fallow acreage, it takes an immense amount of water to bring back that land into production in areas that um, we would be fallowing acreage within the Colorado River Basin. You know, like we, the Colorado River has water that's pretty, pretty high. It's pretty saline. It's pretty high in salt content. And what that does is when you leave acreage fallowed, it leaves a layer of salt on top of the 
ground and that salt it just it, it's very challenging um to bring to to penetrate that layer of salt and to um to get that ground ready to be back into production and so it's a very challenging situation and i don't think we need to continue to rely on ag to to make the difference for us we need to start to do it um in other more innovative ways yeah big problems and we need some bigger solutions that's for sure thank you so much joseph for coming on uh we're going to talk about droughts i'm sure in the next coming years maybe months maybe more years Uh, as you said there's a long drought going on so We'll try to have you back on again to talk about this some more. Thanks for coming on. Hey, come back next week for an interview. Maybe I'll do one of these again next week, or I'm going to try to do these maybe bi-weekly, once every three weeks. Um, Try to get a lot of articles to talk to you guys. So come back. My name's Cannon Brown. This has been the show. Hope you enjoyed it.